You've landed on the Lonely Diplomat podcast, and wherever you are in the world, from Jakarta to Juba, welcome. I'm Phil McAuliffe, and I'm the Lonely Diplomat. I work to reconnect diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to themselves and to the world around them. I do this through my website, thelonelydiplomat.com. So if you haven't already, be sure to go to my website and check out my products, which include this podcast and a blog, and my services, which include speaking services for our employing agencies and coaching for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to help them in the living of their diplomatic lives. While you're on my site, why not subscribe? Subscribers are the beneficiaries of all my warm, fuzzy, best vibes and are the first to be told about any new content and get substantial discounts to my products and services. Have you read my book yet? The Lonely Diplomat Reconnecting with Yourself and the World Around You is available at Amazon.com. So search The Lonely Diplomat in Amazon or follow the link on my website to go and buy the book in paperback or in ebook form. Listener, I'm really excited to introduce this episode, which is episode 17 of the Lonely Diplomat podcast to you. You're about to listen to my discussion with the talented Amel Derigui from TandemNomads.com. Readers of my blog would have already read Amel's post, which I published on TheLonelyDiplomat.com on Saturday the 11th of January 2020. In that article, which is called setting up a portable business as a diplomatic spouse. Amel gave three compelling reasons why starting a portable business is a great idea for a diplomatic spouse. If you haven't read it, there's a link to it in the episode description of this episode. The number one concern that I hear from other diplomatic spouses and those diplomats who are being accompanied by a significant other is the loss of career progression and indeed not even having a career. This is a topic that has come up in other podcast episodes and blog posts through my work on thelonelydiplomat.com. So this episode and this blog post is in direct response to these concerns that I consistently hear. In this episode, Amel shares the story of how she came to start Tandem Nomads, her story and her belief that the things in life that challenge us can be great opportunities will surely resonate and inspire with so many in my audience around the world. Let's listen. Listener, it's with great pleasure that I welcome Amel Derigi, the host of TandemNomads.com and the fantastic Tandem Nomads podcast, to this episode of the Lonely Diplomat podcast today. Amel, welcome. Thank you, Phil. It's so nice to be here. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to have a blast because we're already having a hard time keeping it together <laughs> being serious. So. <laughs> I'm really happy to be here with you. Oh, I was trying to keep it professional, but I think we got all of 30 <laughs> seconds into the interview, Amel, before we, you know, started it. So how about 
how about we say that you know it's a it's a good serious topic but we're just going to approach it you know in in the way that we want to today wonderful so where do you want me to start well i want to ask the obvious question and you talked about this in your blog post that was published on the lonely diplomat last weekend and i want to ask the that blatantly obvious question what is a portable business Oh, that's a very good way to start. And um, so, you know, I love this question for the simple reason that a lot of people confuse a portable business with a portable skill. Aha. And a portable business is a business model that you can take with you anywhere you go without being disrupted when you're in transition. And I love to take the example, for example, if you're a yoga teacher, being a yoga teacher, you can do it anywhere in the world. Right. This is great, but it doesn't make it a portable business because every time you move to a new country, you're going to need to find new clients. So it's going to take you a few months before you can start have, having regular clients to have regular income. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you have to move again. So you can, you're going to have to leave all your clients behind, everything you've built, everything you worked so hard to build. You're going to have to leave it behind and start all over from scratch. Right. And this is what uh, got me to really try to bring awareness on the importance of thinking of a business that is portable rather than just looking at a skill that's portable. Right. So we're going to dig into uh, a lot more of that, but I want to ask a question now on portability. How do we make a business portable? So that is a lot about, first of all, I think figuring out what is the value that you have to provide, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, is, what, is the, what are you delivering to your clients? That's important to figure that out. Right. And one thing that I want to share is that there's a lot of businesses that are already portable by nature. For example, being a coach, you can do it anywhere. If mm-hmm. you build your audience online, if you have given the habit to your clients to work with you online, this is very easy to do. Some other businesses are not that easy to do online because they're very physical and require physical presence. The amazing thing about nowadays that we live in a society and in a world where thanks to technology, we can turn almost anything into something that can be portable or digital. I can give you an example of a client of mine who is an interior designer. And as an interior designer, you, how can you be an interior designer and do it on the move? If you're not right? in the room, right? If you're not in the room, correct. Right. So there's two things I want to say about that. There's, the first thing is what I call the rule of 60-40. Obviously, if you're an interior de- designer, it must be that you love being in the room and setting up the design of the room, getting furniture, physical stuff. You mm-hmm. love that. Mm-hmm. But if you are an expat partner, and I think that's why we hear a lot of people who are listening are probably expats, global nomads, or expat spouses, or diplomatic spouses. Mm, diplomatic spouses. Who need, yeah, who need to be able to move from a country to another, like almost every three to four years or right. five years max. That is not portable. That's not possible to do it on the move. So I always call this 60-40 rule. Whenever you have a business idea or a business that's no portable, try to figure out how you can create at least 40% of your revenue that is portable. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. Then think outside the box of how can you transform that business 
provide that service in a digital way. And for example, with my client, she is serving expats around the world who live in temporary places and try to make it a home. So you might ah, ask me, how do you do that? Right, right. Well, n- not well, only she's serving that? expats, yeah. <laughs> but that does, it's not because she's serving expats that it makes it a portable business, obviously. But mm. what she does is that she provides consulting. She consults expats around the world with by having a call with them. First of all, the clients take pictures of the space that they want to, to renovate or to fix or like if they have a lack of space they would also show the whole room how it looks like and send pictures to her then have a talk with her about what are the challenges they have about it then she would use an online tool that allows her to do e-design to Mm -hmm. redesign the place so she would with that uh, application be able to design how she recommends to redesign the room and sometimes give a palette of colors, give a palette of different styles of furnitures, and then the clients eventually can go and find something similar on their own. That's genius. Yeah. So this is how you think outside the box and think how can you provide that same service without being in the room. Right, right. And technology to the rescue. And technology to the rescue. Today, it's amazing. We yeah. live in such an amazing world that you will probably find an app for everything you need in this yeah. world. <laughs> yeah. And if there's not one, there's potentially an opportunity. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> if there's not one, you might want to start it. <laughs> yeah. That is that is something so. that you say um, frequently and, and, and is almost your... Um, Motto. Motto, yeah. I was about to say catch cry or, or rallying cry um, that out of challenges come opportunities. Um, yeah. And that's a fantastic example of one um, where, you know, there is no, um, you know, there was a need. There was a need because I, I'm as you're sitting there um, in New York and, and I'm here in Wellington, um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking of all the all the places, all the apartments, all the houses that uh, that I've lived in while living the diplomatic life, and going, oh, that would have been really great because you constantly, you know, you have a house, you know, you like you, your goods uh, and your pictures, and particularly pictures and artwork, um, you know, you hang those up and it immediately feels like home. But if you don't know, or the place is tiny, or it doesn't have many walls or or whatever it is, it can actually, you know, just being able to take that background stress. I don't want to say that that's like majorly stressful. It can be majorly stressful, but you know, it takes that sort of that, that background noise as you're settling into somewhere and makes it easier to, to, Mm-hmm. To, to settle in somewhere, to make something feel like home really quickly. Yeah, Your home that's really quickly. Yeah. And wow. for those living the diplomatic life, we all have experienced that because mm. I come from the diplomatic life as well mm. and mm. and we always had to live in other people's furnitures. Yeah. And if you don't like the furnitures or they don't fit your needs, mm. what do you do? You don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. The apartment comes with the furniture and you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So um, that was, yeah, that's it. I think we could deep, deep, dig deeper into that topic because I'm very passionate about it. But um, maybe she should come to your show and you I know, can tell you more I know. about it. No, reference, please. Um, <laughs> but it is, um, yeah, it is, it is so... Um, I, I, I mentioned to you, Amel, before pressing record that I shared on social media or I asked my audience on social media um, what 
they wanted to see from me um, in 2020. And I had a whole list of about five topics, which this being one, you know, setting up a portable business to help diplomatic spouses and, and, and our other halves in, you know, maintaining their career overseas when they're, when they're on the move. That, the response, my audience, listener, I have to say that, you know, you're awesome, but you're not very vocal. Uh, and you, you, you tend to um, uh, uh, observe my work rather than wanting to engage public, publicly with my work. I get it. I really, really, really do get it. Um, but it's the reality in which I'm finding myself working in. However, your like the the the, the topic ML of um, setting up a portable business for my social media like went into meltdown. Um, wow. And <laughs> and people, you know, I'm you know with my with my global but uh, but very quiet audience, they were very keen to hear about your work. So I feel, listener, if you don't have already, just press pause and race and get a pen and paper um, and and come back uh, to, 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 to listen to this because it's going to be so full of unique wisdom and insights that we will get from Amel. So press pause now. Okay, welcome back. Amel... You've created Tandem Nomads based on your, like a gap that you saw in the market. But as we've had a talk about previously, it's from your experience. I want to dig into your experience some more. So how did you get into the work now in creating the Tandem Nomads? What's the Amel Deragi story? Mm-hmm. So I will try to make it short, like all of us in this world, you listener and Phil, our stories are so full um, of a lot of chapters. But the stories, <laughs> but, I will tr- <laughs> but, but, but we connect to the stories, sorry to interrupt, we yes. connect to the stories and I feel that the audience member with the pen and paper poised, po- uh, pen poised over paper is will, will be hearing themselves in you very shortly. Whoa, lovely. <laughs> so I I do have a very similar uh, story as as a lot of diplomats and, and actually I'm a diplomatic child. My parents are, ti- are, are diplomats and I've been raised on the move and uh, I just, I feel so blessed that I had this life, but it did come with its own challenges mm-hmm. and I knew what it was to always be on the move and not be settled anywhere. So as I grew up and started my career in advertising and settled down, I went. Uh, I come from Algeria, born in India, raised in many countries. By the age of sixteen, I was already like, I'm ready to settle down. <laughs> <laughs> so I lived on my own at the age of seventeen. My parents finally let me go to France, so I studied there, and I started my career in advertising there, and uh, worked there for many years. Back and traveling back and forth to the U.S. for work as well and for my master's degrees. But basically, I have decided that I will not have this lifestyle anymore. And whenever my parents will ask me, like, what are your plans for the future? I'll say, well, it's pretty simple. First of all, I'm never going to move again. Because I remember they were wanting me to follow their footsteps being a diplomat. I said, forget it. No way. (laughs) 
Um, although I loved it, this life, I feel so lucky to have it. I was just ready to settle down. Mm. Uh, that was the first thing. I said, never I will travel again. And I will, uh, we also talked about, you know, marriage and everything. I said, mm, you know what? I'm not going to marry ever. And I'm not ever going to give up my career for another man and move abroad or marry a diplomat. I said so many things, never. <laughs> and surely enough, um, shortly after that conversation, I went to visit my parents in Iran and met with the man who became my husband a year later. <laughs> and I quit my job and moved and moved to Iran. The good thing about this experience that I had was I knew what it was to live on the move and I knew what it was to be a woman and a spouse on the move yeah. uh, and especially diplomatic spouse on the move. Yeah. Um, and it titles a lot your husband, of... Because your husband's a diplomat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's it, in a way, yes. So it's a, I'm going to make it a shortcut, but let's say yes. He's a diplomat. He's not from like the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but we have a diplomatic status because he represents the commercial section of Austria. Yep. So uh, a diplomat um, is a diplomat is a diplomat. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So he will never be an ambassador somehow, but it still comes with the role of the spouse and the represent representations. And you know, the my husband always tells me how instrumental I. I have been in supporting his network as well mm. and growing his network. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that I knew all of that and I did not want it, but I fell in love and this man was very persuasive in making me move to his place. That's another episode. I'll tell you another time. But basically, I knew I was not going to be able to continue my career and my career was everything for me i knew at the age of 14 what i wanted to do mm -hmm. i had a plan since the age of 14 and i was always very ambitious about my independence and my career and my financial independence meant everything to me mm -hmm. so removing that for me was was crushing yeah. was one of the toughest things that happened to me was to suddenly depend financially on a man mm -hmm. um so I knew that I was not going to be able to find a job in my industry moving from a country to another. And even if I did, let's say every single time you move to a country, you find a job, I knew that I was not going to have the stable career growth that people have when they grow in one country and one company. Yep. You have this continuous growth. That will not happen for sure. And because I knew that, I had made a deal with my husband actually when he proposed to me. I said, the only way I will come to Iran and marry you is if I can find a way to settle my business yep. and have some kind of proof that I can work in Iran. Um, it was a bit more complex than that. There was no black and white answer to that one. But it immediately I <laughs> immediately I I immediately decided to set up my business and 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 as a consultant and I've been working with corporate companies doing that. So I started in Iran and it's funny because without knowing I was already starting this journey of figuring out what is the portability yep. and as a spouse I could not set up my business in Iran so I had to be creative and I did not realize I was doing something that was not very common was to set up my company in Austria I decided to set up my company in Austria and then work with the companies worldwide as we move from a country to another yep so that's what I've been doing for six years. I've been moving from a country to another. In five years, our five first years together, we moved three times. We went to Iran. Um, I went to join him to Iran. Then we went to Austria. Then we came to New York. Right. And while living this life in these six years, of course, as any business, there's a lot of highs and a lot of downs. And uh, I mean, it's not a steady journey. Right. 
obviously like any business mm -hmm. but i i felt very lucky that i had a business at least you know so that that's what a good thing however there was two kind of issues that i've experienced on my journey the first one was to feel talking about the lonely diplomat i felt i would call it the lonely entrepreneur probably yeah. <laughs> i felt so lonely to run my business and trying to figuring out on my own how to make it work how to grow it and how to make it portable uh, i i started in iran by finding local clients and then I, once i started having immense traction immense success I had to leave yeah. and all my contracts, I had some big contracts that I gave to people who did not do half of the work I had to do to get those clients. Mm -hmm. So it was very frustrating. And that's when it started clicking. How can I make this business sustainable? Because it ends up being like a job. I have to leave it behind and start over again, finding new clients. So that's when like the issue of portability started coming to me and I didn't find anybody who could help me with that. All the entrepreneurs who wanted to mentor me, who were very supportive, could not help me because they had their businesses very locally yep. established, even if they were millionaires and very successful. They could not understand the challenges I was going through mm -hmm. and how to make my business portable. Mm -hmm. That was the first thing. The second thing was being a spouse, being a diplomatic spouse. So the, f the first months before I started reading, having good traction with my business, I would realize, first of all, nobody cares about who I am, what I'm doing. People would introduce me either as my parents' daughter, because they were there as diplomats before, or my husband's wife. My name would even not come up on the conversation. Oh, I've just winced. <laughs> oh. So as an independent woman, that's like really hard to realize that people yeah. introduce you as, oh, this is Michael's wife. Or, you know, how spouses would introduce themselves as, as I'm the wife of the ambassador of this country. And, and that will kill me. That mm -hmm. will just shake mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I felt, I think I had some enemies at the beginning because my face would show that <laughs> <laughs> anger. Um, I would be so resentful to anybody who would like do that to me. Yeah. Um, and so that was the first thing. My identity was completely crushed. This independent, powerful woman that I saw myself as was gone. And I was like, I was hustling, trying to find and grow my business. Well, nobody even asked me what I do. Uh, that was the first thing. And then the second thing about being a spouse was not to relate with other spouses either who were in the same situation as mm. I was, who experienced the same thing. But there was almost a taboo. You don't talk about Korea. You don't talk about... It's almost as you open that box of Pandora that you don't want to open because it's going to lead to so many hurts and troubles and right. facing reality that I don't have a career and, and, and I don't want to talk about this. And I realized that sometimes I felt lonely, not only on the entrepreneurial side, but also as an expat spouse, yep. I felt lonely because I couldn't even talk to the other spouses about it because they, they were focused on their families, which is great. There's no judgment, but I felt alone because that was important for me. Yep. Until I started digging into this, I realized that everybody felt that way. Mm -hmm. It's just yep. that we didn't talk about it. Yep. Yep. Oh, we my God. We did not talk about it. Yep. So, uh, so I felt very lonely in this journey. And then once I arrived to New York, I don't know what has happened, but there was, you know, sometimes you need, the universe just brings things together. And, and there was a series of events that got me to really start feeling itchy about this right. i need to talk about this and 
oh god i could give you a lot of re lot of smaller events but i'm just going to share one when i arrived in new york obviously i did have to sell my business and uh, to to continue to work and everything and i remember the predecessor my husband was like we were talking and talking about some plans for the future i don't remember exactly but he was almost surprised that i'm planning to work he said you're planning to work you're you're planning to work and I was like, well, what's surprising about that? He said, he was like, Ugh, you don't even know what you're up to. This is never going to happen. You, you know, because it's too uh, hard for his spouse. And he didn't mean it in a bad way. Mm. And I was like, so it's like, as a facto, you're not supposed to work because it's too hard and it's not possible anyhow. Which I understand. It was coming from an empathy, place of empathy. That was my first thing. And then the second, there was a lot of constructions happening, a lot of events happening. And I end up, spending six months of my first months in new york yeah like hurting my own business for the sake of establishing ourselves in new york i could not find the time to take care of my own business and do my job properly mm -hmm. so i was happy and lucky that i had clients that moved with me i mean that they were not in new york but i could continue working with them but i could not work on my business development because of all the things of being a diplomatic spouse and titles. Anyhow, so that was that. And then meeting with other women who were, and, and actually a couple of men as well, yep. who Good. were experiencing deep depression, yeah, deep loss of identity. Yeah. And finally, I think the crack was when I got to know um, about a story of a woman who was cheated on. Mm -hmm. But... Um, and then she takes her kids and goes home because she's pissed. But instead of having the support, what happens is that she gets knocked out of the bank account and on top of it being sued for abduction. And what do you do? And I knew other women who would not even divorce because they had no financial independence and would stay in an unhappy relationship just because they depend on their partner financially. Right. So I kind of told you a little bit of everything here. No. All these things got me to really be itchy and say, what can I do? What can I do about this? So one day I, I listened to my first podcast episode, which was Serial. And right after the end of that Serial, that was a big deal in 2014, I think. Um, it was a big deal. And right after that, I started realizing the power of, of storytelling. You like stories, Phil. Oh, my God. The power of storytelling yep. through sound and not yep. just visuals mm -hmm. and i knew that i wanted to do something but i'm not a good writer and i don't like having to write and i don't want to be on, on it one, but continue <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't want to blog for sure yeah and i didn't want to be on video to do a youtube channel I was like, how can I share my message with the world? Uh -huh. And when I discovered the podcast, the medium of podcast, I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And it also helped me share the story of other people without feeling, with those people not being intimidated because mm -hmm. it's a much less intimidating mm -hmm. medium to get personal and share personal stories without feeling like you're being watched or, yeah. or too vulnerable. Yeah. So that's how it started. I started this podcast sharing the stories, but I wanted to change the narrative because there were things out there about expert spouses and mostly called trading spouses, which uh, I hate. Do not. I hate with passion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't get me started. But uh, I did use it for SEO reasons because if you want to show up, you need to show <laughs> practical <laughs> reasons. But... Um, Anyhow, so 
I was really tired of, because when I was doing my research about this whole thing, I was really tired about how the narrative was being told mm -hmm. of the expected spouse. It was almost exactly going back to that predecessor who was telling me, really, you think you're going to work? Is like saying that it's not possible. Mm -hmm. mm. Like, just give up. Don't even try. Don't even try. And the narrative was so pretty negative. We were talking a lot about the negative stuff. I did not see enough content that gave hope and who shared, which is my motto, that we can turn every challenge into an opportunity. Yes. And today, going back to the article I shared with you mm -hmm. last week, today we cannot, well, we live in the best times thanks to technology. We yep. can do anything we want, mm -hmm. anything we want. Mm -hmm. Our world still needs to move forward with administrative visa stuff and issues, but even that, we should not let it stop us. Nope. And we can do anything we want. And that's what I wanted to share with the world. And um, that's why I started interviewing. And f it was so hard at the beginning, fishing and looking around the world. Where are the spouses who managed to build a portable career? So I really tried hard. And I end up starting to find, you know, it's funny when you start finding one, you find a second one. And then it leads to more and more discovery, which was great. Yep. Yeah. So I, I started meeting more and more expat partners, sharing their stories of how they managed to build their own source of fulfillment and their own source of revenue on the move. Yep. And uh, that's how it started. But then this was like a side gig. Like that was like not a hobby, but it was something important to me, but that I did on the side of my business. Yep. I still had to run my business. Mm -hmm. And a year down the road, I just couldn't keep up with both. It was just so much work. That was so the marketing work. business, right? Yes, that yeah. was the consulting business and marketing for corporate companies. So yep. that's what I used to do. And at some point I had to sit down because I was getting overwhelmed. I was like, what am I going to do? I have to make a decision here. Where do I put my focus? And it was one of the hardest decisions I had to take. Mm -hmm. And I remember like today, that big day that I put on the calendar where I will start saying no to new clients. Funny enough, that day, the same day I put in my calendar where I would not take any new client that day was where my dream client reached out after months of chasing him uh, and telling uh, me we're in <laughs> i'm like are you serious oh they missed out uh, so i still had lunch with him and had to tell him i'm sorry and he was like so why are you having lunch with me <laughs> i said because i'm gonna help you find other people to help you and since we became very good friends but it was like a big big a big opportunity for me but I decided to give up the consulting and focus full-time on 10 nomads yep. and make it also a business for myself because I was always interested in, you know, doing a business that also helps me make an impact. And I realized that would make, make me much happier than working with big corporate companies. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I do now. I, I've built Tandem Nomads and the content of Tandem Nomads, the podcast has shifted a bit more to real marketing and entrepreneurship, yeah. like inspiration of how to build a portable business. At the beginning, it was a lot of storytelling, which was great. But the good news is that the more we shared stories, the more people wanted to know, okay, ML, tell me how do you actually do it? So I started doing it for free, helping a couple of expert partners build their portable businesses. Then I started having few sessions. And that's when I said, okay, it's enough now. I need to make this a real business. Yeah. So basically what I do now, I provide one-on-one -on -one coaching for expert partners, but also I'm starting to have global nomads in general who are interested in this uh, and I do it with on one-on-one -on -one coach one-on-one -on -one coaching but also I started now having my own online courses and yeah. and workshops and 
and programs that also work now with governmental organizations who want to support their diplomatic spouses. For example, the Belgian ministry, they're one of my first big supporters and who buy my programs for their spouses. Um, yeah, so we have three levels now in Tandem Nomads. The first one is, I don't know what to do, but I want to start a business. Mm -hmm. This so it's called the Business Idea Accelerator. The second level is I have a business idea, but I don't know where to start. And the third level is I have a business, but I want to make more revenue or take it to the next level. So this is basically the story. I told you it's going to be a long one. No. Oh, my God. Like, I don't know what to do with that. I really, uh, I'm, you, you, you've made me at a loss for words. That's, 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 that's something right there. But I don't know about you, listener, but... I my my neck is now quite sore because I was just nodding so much and everything that you said Amel I can see along I don't like to use this word but along my journey in the lonely diplomat where um you uh, uh and and collecting my thoughts for a moment. But one of the things that, that really resonated with me was that sort of sense of loneliness, isolation, where you've got an idea, where you had an idea, ML, and you, it was kind of like a... Australian listeners will know what I'm saying when I say it's like the vibe of the thing. You just had a... Um, uh, uh, an, an idea and you knew that there was something there, but it was kind of nebulous, ill-defined, and... Over that series of the universe whacking you around the head um, with mm. with sort of realizations, that then that 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 seed that idea germinated um, and and turned into what we're seeing today. That the point there that you made about being a spouse and introduced as the wife of, the daughter mm. of, um, is what I feel so many listeners who are diplomatic spouses, including myself, just go, uh-huh, yep. Uh, and um, as I've said to you last week, I think, when we were talking, um, but for you, listener, for the benefit, um, for your benefit, my work, the work that I was doing in Australia, um, was looking at skilled migration. And skilled migrants to Australia, we see that the skilled migrant who is the primary applicant, um, I'm not going to get too, too, too technical, generally, like statistically overwhelmingly has... A, an accompanying partner who is as qualified, if not more qualified, um, uh, for skilled migration. So essentially, uh, f you know, in a migration program, you get a two-for-one um, uh, bonus to society, to the economy of having two very smart, very skilled people coming as part of the family unit. Looking around me and my experience in diplomacy, that actually rings out in diplomacy where you have a highly skilled, generally highly educated, well-experienced diplomat who is supported by, accompanied by 
um, uh, a extremely highly accomplished, skilled other half, a partner, a husband, a wife, whatever, whatever the situation is. This is why, listener, I'm so excited to have Amel here because just like me, like I, and, and, and being able to see my experience with the Lonely Diplomat in almost everything that Amel has said, I, I've not been posted to Tehran, <laughs> like, but, um, but, but, you know, you know, this is so important that we use the, we can see our, as accompanying spouses, we can see the limitations. We can see the regulations. We can see the expectations as the box that we must fit into. And we can spend one, maybe two postings being in that box. And we can make excuses saying, well, the visa regulations don't allow me to work. And oftentimes nope. they don't allow people, uh, accompanying spouses to work. And if they do allow accompanying spouses to work, there's language issues, there's cultural issues, there's, you know, are my skills transferable into this country? Um, but your work, Amel, very clearly, and this is why I love it, and this is why I get so much inspiration from talking to you, listening to your podcast, and reviewing Thank your you. your website. Um, it, like it says, yep, they're factors to take into account, but they're just things that you need to, you know, there are ways that you can overcome it, and you can tap into this network of amazing people, men and women who uh, have done something about it. Yeah, exactly. I'm so happy that you highlighted that point. I do think that that's the biggest message. If there's only one message I want to leave here is like, you can do anything about it. Don't let, don't let anything tell you that you can't do something. Yeah. If you want to do something, you find a way to do it. And if you... And that's basically the most important message, especially yeah. nowadays. If yeah. it was 20 years ago, I would understand. But now, thanks to internet, thanks to technology, we can really do anything we want. It's yeah. all about simply investing in ourselves and committing to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That, listener, I was saying to Amel, we need to have something for the, uh, for the promos on social media, <laughs> like that soundbite. That is it right there. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah. So um, what I want to say also, you, you made a point, Amel, just before I go on to the next question, just about um, opening Pandora's box. And, you know, we can fear that by essentially coming out in our um, social group as diplomatic spouses that, you know, the, 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 I don't want to say the boredom, but the but the, the general feeling or and frustrations of being a diplomatic spouse, you know, being seen as the role, not as an accomplished human who still has mm. potential. Um, and and fitting into that means that, you know, our careers are something that uh, is not widely spoken about. And by talking, by approaching that taboo topic. Um, as you said, um, 
by opening Pandora's box, we, you know, we fear the opening of Pandora's box. But listener, I want to remind you what happens when Pandora's box is open. When the box is opened, all these terrible things come flying out and, and have to deal with, with them. And yep, some of them are scary. Some of them, you know, we, we fear we have been more scared of them than they are scary. So that we've, we've made them out to be worse than they really are. But at the bottom of Pandora's box, there's hope. Yep. So it's really important. We can spend our lives, our lives living in fear of opening Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. We can spend our lives living in fear of entering the cave. But as Joseph Campbell says with the cave, the cave in which we fear to enter holds the treasure that we seek. Excellent. I love that. Me too. It's like a guiding motto of mine. Uh, uh, If I can add something to that. Of course. I kind of want to, you know, to to make a stand here about this Pandora, uh, this box. And I have the feeling that sometimes people don't want to open it because then they really have to face it and do yeah. something about it. Yes. And that's basically what I want to invite you, all of you, to face your demons and to face your fears because, yes, you might have to do about it once you put it out there. You're going to have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment where you start having to get out of your comfort zone for mm-hmm. sure. But you will gain so much out of it. And you will gain so much more freedom out of it if you just face the reality in which you are and do something about it instead of dwelling or instead of just ignoring it and pretending that you're happy. Yes. Oh, my. That right there is another soundbite, just in case the other (laughs) one doesn't work. Oh, my, Amel. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And from your share uh, and my experience as well, I like again. My neck is so sore. I'm going to have to wear one of those collars. Um, but You're I'm, so funny. <laughs> I'm nodding so furiously. We can. I have spent so much time being terrified of entering the cave, opening Pandora's box, and and you know you don't sort of. You, oh my god! You find so many different excuses to not open the box, enter the cave. But it's like you, you, you never do it alone. And you're not the first person who's ever opened a Pandora's box. You're not the first person who's gone into a scary cave. Um, mm. And there are, um, uh, and even whatever you're f- scared of doing, if you're scared of being heard, being seen, being judged, um, which is a really common one. Yep. It's hard. It requires you to do some hard things. But as my work has shown, um, and Amel, what your lived experience and what your work shows, that great things can come when you do a scary thing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do all the scary things all at once, but when you do a scary thing and Mm -hmm. take ownership of where you are, in life, where you are in the world, uh, and go, you know, my experience hasn't happened to me, 
my experience has happened for me. What can what is life teaching me right now, and what can I learn from it, and how can I turn that that challenge into an opportunity? Yeah. Oh That's my god. Everything. Oh my god. That's everything. Oh. <laughs> This, this, I, I, that's I an important message. Yeah, I kind of feel like Oprah right now, and, and just sort of like going, really? oh my god, it's just like you, know, or, or you know, I don't know, maybe Ellen or something like jumping up and down on a couch. Oh, I don't know, but <laughs> Mel, this is it right here. I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps from from that insight and listener wherever you are in the world. Using Mel's words about the intimacy of a podcast. Mm-hmm. That that it still blows my mind, and Amel, your your podcast is incredibly popular and is listened all listened to all over the world. It still blows my mind where where my where my podcast gets heard um, uh, around the world. Wherever you are, yeah. listener, I hope that you have just like you have goosebumps too, because this this is the shit. This is it right here. Sorry, mum, but this is <laughs> it right right here. And it has been a theme on um, on the Lonely Diplomat, both in my podcast and in my blog, about looking at the spouse, the accompanying partner, um, the significant others that I call them, uh, their experience, rather than simply the diplomat's experience at work and living the diplomatic life. And that your shares on loneliness, lack of visibility are the common themes be male female gay straight in including being the child of a diplomat um mm-hmm. that that is the, the 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 those two are the frustrations the main frustrations that we all feel and now yeah. i, I want to move on to to other to to another question um, and it's reluctantly that I do it because I feel that we could, could you know, go back and forward having this, you know, extremely constructive agreement with each other. Um, <laughs> let's uh, fight it. Off. I know, I know. Let's let's <laughs> see who's more passionate about this than someone else. <laughs> but what's the biggest mistake um, oh. that you've made at work and what did you learn from it? Because... We can be terrified to try something new if we feel that we're going to fail at it. That's the reason behind that question. So it, it, I love the second part of your question because when you asked me that, you know, I was like, oh my God, which mistake? Um, it does not mean that I did not make mistakes. It just means that, honestly, I don't mean it to sound good, but every one of my mistakes led me to where I am today. Yeah. It's not my wins that love me where I am here. It's my mistakes. And that's why I, I, I'm trying to find like the negative story here that I can share where, where I really messed up. But I want to share maybe one story because the one that makes you really, I don't want to sound like hypocrite saying I did not make any mistakes. So I'm going to share one bad story and then give you maybe some more. But one bad story that's a huge inter- like mistake as a business owner yeah. was in Iran when I started. And I, when you start, you don't know what you don't know. Oh, my God. <laughs> and yes. it's as simple. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And I should have maybe, I took too long to 
to seek for help and mentorship and invest in myself, I think. Mm -hmm. And I should have invested in not necessarily a coach, but either a consultant myself or a coach or, or a mentor to help me through that. I just really literally figured it out all on my own, which led me to really lose money and get in some troubles at some point. So I'm going to give you a story in Iran that was really bad, actually, because financially, whew, I have my, my heart beats just thinking about it. It was pretty bad. That's a good um, sign. But um, yeah, it's funny that I struggled to even say that sort of because it, it's, it's just very stressful. So I, in Iran, I was really happy to, it was just amazing that I managed to make a dent very quickly in the market as a consultant in marketing and branding. And I had actually competed with big agencies and I was just a one person show and I still won those tenders. Right. With big pharmaceutical companies. Why am I not and surprised? I was this like this little girl and I actually I'm saying this little girl that's gonna sh tell you another story with that like chauvinistic a little bit because basically I hired a team of freelancers to work with me and the guy was like you little girl telling me what to do. Anyhow, mm -hmm. he used to tell me that. And it's funny how it stays in your mind. It's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. But um, so I, I got this contract and I never thought about the fact that I was in Iran, God's sakes. I was in Iran, which we know the political situation. Mm -hmm. And I was so naive that my contract was like so not protecting me in any way in case of issues. And Fast enough, the country got into a meltdown, one of those many meltdowns, and yeah. one of them was having the EU come and sanction the country on top of the American EUs. When the EU came and sanctioned Iran, that's when the value of the currency just dropped by 70%. Oh. 70% of my contract was gone. And that hurts. Yeah, That yeah. hurts, especially when you have to pay people and have expenses yeah so yeah that was that was really big mistake i did to not seek for for invest in legal help to design my contracts and i was ready for anything to get this contract and this is you know i was ready for anything honestly if i had to do it again i'll do it again that's the thing yeah because i would have not get that first big milestone to get to the next one yeah um so that was hugely big uh Big loss of money, a lot of stress, sleepless nights. Um, and you're dealing with a gigantic pharmaceutical company. They can crush you if yeah. they want. Yeah. yeah. You're, no, you're just a cockroach, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out that did crush me. So, and the second story that happened was that, so it was really going well at the, at the beginning. It went super well. And honestly, I think I got comfortable too quickly. Because I, I got my team together, and although I did feel like there was a bit of resentment, how can this young woman give me orders? Um, and yeah, so my team was not quite understanding how I could run this mm -hmm. when, when all my old people who worked for me were much older. Um, but I trusted them. They were doing an amazing job, and it was all good. And at some point, diplomatic life and global life, I needed to travel. I needed to go back to Vienna. So what do you do when you do that? Well, I built a team and said, okay, you can run this meeting on your own. Oh, that was the worst thing I did was to leave that client with, with my team alone. Because when I came back, I basically lost the contract <sighs> because they messed up so badly during the meeting. 
And that's when the whole portability also started kicking in. Yep. Uh, I need to find a solution. I need to be able to... I cannot stay in Iran the whole year. I need to travel at some point. There are family issues. There are all kinds of issues that comes with our lifestyle mm. that does mm. not allow me to stay full-time in Iran and run a business, a local business. Mm. So I did lose that big client. That was a huge win for me. That was like I was bragging about this thing to everybody. And fair enough, I got it came back to me in my face really bigly. <laughs> so business karma. So that's um, that was a big mistake that I've done to not invest in the legal help that I needed, but also to to get comfortable too quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I would do it again. You see what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't have learned this lesson if I didn't do that. Which is something that hindsight gives. Yeah, I'm sure. So, but you know, I'm sure at the time you were just like, oh, "Crap! You know, this is terrible. This is the worst thing ever." Were you? You know, berating yourself. Yeah. Oh my God, I was so scared. I was so scared. You know, because you're also in a country where you don't know what can happen to you. I'm dealing with local mm. big clients, mm. so you never know. Mm. But part of the adrenaline is also the risk. I think when you're an entrepreneur, you. Oh, well, that's another big thing I want to talk about: uh, the risk part. Yeah. A lot of people think that being an entrepreneur is about taking the risks. I think it's about enjoying getting out of our comfort zone or at least making sure to do so. But if you're a good entrepreneur, you don't take risks. You manage risks. Yeah. Yeah. You put it on the table, you measure it with facts, and you make decisions accordingly. Mm -hmm. So this is a myth to say that good entrepreneurs are risk takers. That's not true. Yeah. They're people who know how to measure risks. They take risks, but they measure them before. Mm. And, And I think in that way, I knew in a way that Worst case scenario, just lose all the money, but I could still have a cushion to pay back whoever I needed to pay back. Yeah. So that's that's what I think. That's why I didn't end up in the whole disaster either. Yeah, but you're right. Um, entrepreneurship and and an entrepreneur has um, the the imagery of being someone who's very cavalier uh, to them, um, and and you know someone who who is sort of freewheeling. Um, and, you know, potentially, you know, loose with the truth, uh, as well. And, and which I don't feel serves, serves the, the role that entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship in general plays in helping and supporting people, uh, moving forward, uh, you know, um, economically, technologically, socially, um, you know, it, it, it requires, you know, a form of entrepreneurship. How in your experience for diplomats and, and diplomatic families has, is there a tension between entrepreneurship and diplomacy? Oh, that's a good question. Isn't it? I just made it up. I like that. Yeah. Mm, that's a smart. <laughs> um, that's a very good question because... I wonder, okay, I, I, have, I want to dig more into your question first. What do you mean by tension? Well, I, I see your tactic you're, you're... there, Amel, by answering my question <laughs> with a question, and I'm going to ask a question to answer your question with a question. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. Let's not um, get all nerdy here. <laughs> fun with language, people. Um, no, what, what, 
What I mean is that, and this is something that I've written about quite a lot over uh, in 2019, was about how as diplomats it can at once be energizing but also exhausting always being on and that does not only mean the person who goes to the office um, who is always the diplomat it's the families it's the people with them who are always being seen as Mm. the diplomats and if you are um, a uh, um, you know potentially a public figure become a public figure because of your work in your host country um, or even, you know, in your home country because of, you know, as a measure of success. And it that, that kind of, you know, success metric then at odds, can it become at all... Ugh. Can it be at odds with that, the need to be steady, the need to be, um, you know, need to be the diplomat? Is there, is there that tension? Ah, so, you know, when, when you asked me this question, I was more thinking about the perception of being a diplomat versus the perception of being an entrepreneur and the common threads between both and the different things between both. And you talked about this need of being always on, which yeah. is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the if as a diplomat you're exposed it's it's such two different worlds to be honest with you i'm part of both worlds i'm part of the diplomatic world and i'm part of the entrepreneurial world it's two different worlds they have nothing to do with each other to be honest with you i don't think there's any common the only common thing is that (laughs) the common thing is that on both sides we have a mission we have a mission to accomplish and we'll do anything to accomplish it well. And that's mm-hmm. what matters. That's the common thing between the diplomats. The real diplomats who care for their jobs, they're animated by their mission statement yeah. as well as the entrepreneur. And that's, for me, the common thread. The difference is how they do it and the mindset in which they do it. When you're a diplomat, you have a series of rules, a series of conduct a, a series of codes and, and protocols and right. to mm. and protocols but also to be honest with you n- i find like a lot of diplomats i meet besides the young ones who are starting to change lack curiosity mm. they lack curiosity for things that are outside their scope mm. and entrepreneurs tend to be a little more curious because if you're a real entrepreneur you get inspiration for everything that surrounds you right and that's for me a little bit the difference here. When I talk to diplomats who are long-term careers, they have amazing lives. They have amazing encounters. They're wicked smart people, yeah. wicked smart. But they lack sometimes the curiosity of trying to find inspiration outside the box. Yeah. And that's why diplomacy is not moving fast enough and not living at our times today. Yeah. We're running diplomacy like 40 years ago, 50 Mm. years ago, and it's time to innovate 
the concept of you know, of diplomacy, I believe. Yeah. So that's basically for me the the tension comes from when you have a diplomat and entrepreneur together. I don't think they get it. The entrepreneur does not get the diplomat. And honestly, I see a lot of people around me who are entrepreneurs who judge diplomats for being this, you know, wealthy people who don't work, which is so not true. I know. It's so not true. That's not fair. It's such a, it's such a stereotype yeah. that diplomats are are like privileged people mm-hmm. that and they're sacrificing their lives for their countries and people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. And the other side I do think that sometimes diplomats do not get what entrepreneurship is about either. Mm. But at the end, we're the same. We're both trying to do our best to fulfill our mission statement and take at our heart whatever mission we have and to accomplish it. Yep. Um, so I think there's work to do in both. Um, it would be so good if we could just melt these two words together. And it's funny that you tell me that. This is why I was like, oh, what a smart question. I got excited because... In Tandem Nomad's mission statement, when I was writing it, I was talking a lot about creating bridges between disciplines, but also different cultures and different borders. And we need to modernize how administration is run in order to allow entrepreneurship to not be just about being a business, but a mindset. And actually presented in my husband's office, presented a workshop on how every employee could be an entrepreneur inside the administration. Yes, yes. And I know, I know it's a that mindset. there's... Absolutely. And I know that there are many um, foreign offices uh, around the world, like foreign service offices around the world, who are in response to, um, uh, uh, well, political challenges, um, uh, a whole range of reasons, are embracing, and, and the catch cry is innovation. Um, which is another way of saying entrepreneurship, um, and it, it, it's it's fascinating, fascinating to watch both with from within and from the outside. And I wrote on 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 this back in May 2019 um, in uh, a message to our bosses, where you know for a variety of reasons, very good reasons. Someone tweets at 3 a.m. Uh, and by 9 a.m., you know, there's there's serious faces around a table how, saying, how are we going to respond to this? Because this is a sudden change in, in direction. And bureaucracy is bureaucratic. Um, and there are many checks and balances when we are spending public money, when we are, you know, putting into effect, um, you know, government's wish uh on uh, you know with other countries and not only are we working with our own within our own bureaucracy we're working within other countries bureaucracies which doubles potentially triples quadruples you know um the amount of bureaucratic hurdles that need to to be cleared in order to get anything done innovation entrepreneurship in diplomacy is absolutely necessary but i fear the 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 framework be for for it uh the framework is not there for it to succeed and innovate innovation doesn't come when you allow people to you know not wear ties to work and sit in bean bags mm. you know just making making a part of the office look like google does not innovation make Innovation yeah, comes it's from within. Yeah, innovation comes when you allow people to make mistakes and for them to feel that you're not 
punishing. They're not going to be punished for not having a perfect outcome. People need to be encouraged and rewarded for making the effort, taking a measured, calculated risk. But I fear until we have, and this comes from um, uh, Dare to Lead, um, from Brene Brown's Netflix special, which is entirely mm-hmm. on this, and from her book um, on, on the say, of the same name, that until you actually have uh, a place where people can feel safe to take risks, to open up, to be vulnerable, none of this works. No. No, that's for sure. So there's a bit of work to do. But here is the thing in the segue to the topic of today. I would say the spouses are the ones who are going to be able to start introducing that mindset. And because uh, I'm so happy to see that in four years, I went my content went from trying to bring awareness around entrepreneurship as the solution to dual career challenges to today finally be able to talk about business models, marketing strategies, the core thing. So I spend a lot of time trying to um, convince spouses that entrepreneurship is the solution for them. And I still think there's a bit more work to do in the diplomatic sphere that entrepreneurship is a good thing. When you're an entrepreneur, you're not a thief. You're not a crook and you're not like a magician. And I think that mindset we have to change because I know that it still exists. Yeah. But thanks to the spouses, because they're starting more and more spouses to start their businesses, we're demystifying what entrepreneurship is about. And I want to summarize what I'm trying to say with, um, for those of you who speak French, the word entrepreneurship in French is entreprendre, which is a verb actually in French. That's the first thing that I like is that entrepreneurship is a verb Mm -hmm. in French, and it actually means taking action. Love it. That's the literally the meaning of entreprendre in French is taking action. And when we understand that entrepreneurship is not about being a billionaire and sucking money from everybody, but rather taking actions and matters that 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 are important, that's when we start realizing that it's a mindset that we have to adopt in any job or career we have. It's more than just about running running a business yeah it's about having that mindset of i see a problem i'm gonna fix it i i'm just gonna let that sink in that's brilliant brilliant it's embracing the mindset um wow (laughs) like again i could talk hours about entrepreneurship for me that's everything. Yeah. For me, it's more than just about marketing and making money. Yep. We all want to make an impact in this world, yep. no matter what we do. Mm-hmm. We all want to be fulfilled, especially expert partners who have lost that sense of fulfillment. Yeah. Yep. And, and when we understand that it's about taking action and not just, we realize that it's not that of a big deal. Just do something about it. Yeah. Start somewhere. Yeah. You don't have to have a grand plan to be successful you need to start with one step one baby step try it out test it out instead of doing nothing it's better to try something and fail rather than just sit down for the perfect moment to do the perfect thing because that will never happen yes 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 it is all about you know the moment is now there is never going to be the perfect moment 
because the perfect moment never exists. You're ready. If you have an idea, you're ready now. And this is why we ask me for mistakes. I'm like, I'm going to try hard because that's how we move forward. Yeah. We need to accept and embrace that we're going to make mistakes because that is what will lead us to success. Yeah. And, and I always say to my client, start first and perfect later. Yeah. 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 I'm taking notes now for my own work. <laughs> um, <laughs> start first and perfect later. And yeah. you've been doing this brilliantly, Phil. Oh, thank you. I've seen you grow in just a few months. Thank so, you. And that's what I loved watching you and watching your work. I've seen you just start, share your message do something about it, no matter what. Just you did something. You saw a problem, and that's why I invited you on Tandem Nomads. You saw a problem, and you said, "I'm going to do something about it." I have a message to share. You're sharing it, and then you're doing your your work. Yep. You're moving forward one step at a time. Oh, you've given me warm fuzzies, Amel. Thank you. Um, and <laughs> I love what you do. Thank you. And and because um, listener, if you haven't listened to that episode of Tandem Nomads podcast, I think it's like episode one hundred and forty-two from memory. Um, anyway, Let it's there's a link it. on my website um, to it, uh, and um, it, it was a brilliant um, chat. Uh, and and I was saying to Amel, it's so much easier being on the guest side of a podcast than it is to be on the host side yeah, you're doing an amazing job phil oh, i love it thanks <laughs> um uh, i'm just going to be me um but the yep. the ml i think i think we've reluctantly um uh i'm going to have to to draw this interview to a close and and let you get on with your afternoon and 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 the listener get on with their with their day but i know that Pens have been uh, scribbling madly over scraps of paper um, all around the world, and people will be sharing this, people will be listening to this over and over and over again. And um, people will be uh, also subscribing to the Tand- uh, Tandem Nomads podcast through tandemnomads.com uh, and through their preferred um, uh, podcast source of podcasts um just like they do for the for the lonely diplomat but ml before before i wrap up is there you know something you know something that you know advice that you would give yourself beyond the you know be okay with making a mistake just take a step yeah I want to share one thing that I'm learning this year because honestly, it's a continuous learning progress. It is. Uh, the, there's never a point where you're like, "Oh, I'm done. I know it all." And I've done. I, I've I've been going through my own challenges this year while I'm growing. There's another set of challenges that come with it. And even in a time where I think I'm comfortable, I'm realizing I'm not. And there's one voice that came to me. Honestly, I'm not superstitious, but it was so weird. And and I want to share it with you for all of you. And I'm sure that everybody needs to hear this is the only th- get out of your own way. Yeah. <gasps> I love that. Get out of your own way. The only thing that's stopping us to be where we want to be is us. Yeah. And that's it. There's nobody or nothing that will stop you besides you. So get out of your own way. I, I, I need to end this podcast now because that right there is it. That is it. I'm like, I'm 
internalizing that now going, yeah, Phil, get out of your own bloody way. Um, but I also need to end this podcast so I can get my neck looked at because it really hurts from nodding <laughs> so much. You've been looking like one of those bulls the whole time. I, I can see Phil now on the camera and his head is <laughs> literally for real. It's like a bobblehead so bubble doll on the I dash know. of a cab, um, you know, in New York where you are. But but also, um, Amel, in, in, in wrapping this up, um, I, I fear that, you know, we... Well, I hope, not I fear you, but I hope that we will, um, have, like, I'll come, I can keep coming back to you um, because I feel that there are going to be many, many, many listeners who will have more questions for you. Um, and indeed, I'll still have questions for you because I'm in the business of unraveling myself uh, continuously with a lot of curiosity. Um, so that makes That's me great. a good entrepreneur, right? Um, but... <laughs> Amel, I have to say um, this, and I mean this with with so much sincerity, that one of the best things about doing my work in this small study, in this small house, in this small city at the bottom of the world is the connection that I have virtually to so many people around the world, be they um, other people who, like my, my audience, or people who are in the business of turning their challenges into opportunities, as you so eloquently say. Amel, one of the undisputed highlights of my 2019 has been working with you and wow. and, and and chatting with you over the phone, emailing with you over the phone, uh, not over the phone, emailing with you. Um, and it is just an enduring privilege and an honor and i feel like i like you're bound for amazing things and i will be able to say i knew her when she was on my podcast you know (laughs) Um, phil this means the world to me this means a lot to me and i've been enjoying so much and just like you phil for me it means so much to have the privilege to have the chance thanks to my work to meet with people like you who inspire me you inspire me what you do and i've already told you so many times from the moment i saw you online like yes we need this we (laughs) need that fresh voice we need that fresh look at the diplomatic life and the the everything goes with it so thank you for being part of my journey and thank you for inviting me to be here and uh to share this journey with your listeners amel derigi thank you so much for your time and for your kind words Thank you. Get out of your own way. These words so eloquently spoken by Amel during our chat are surely echoing around the world at the moment. I want to thank Amel Derigi once again for sharing her story. It's been an absolute honor having her on the show and writing an article for my blog for you my awesome global audience. If you've been inspired by the conversation that I've just had with Amel and feel that you want to start a portable business that can follow you around the world as you live your diplomatic life but don't know where to start, I've got a suggestion. My suggestion is to pay attention to your internal dialogue when something triggers you. And by triggers, that could actually be a positive trigger, something that elicits 
happiness and joy in you or a negative in inverted commas trigger something that makes you frustrated or scared or angry or any other of the again in inverted commas negative responses pay attention to those because if you find yourself saying something along the lines of someone should do something about this get curious it may just be the flash of an idea that begins to affect real change in the world and in the lives of others. Write it down, refine it, reflect and get help. Others have been down the road that you may begin to go down. Enlist the services of a coach like Amel. Get a mentor who you know and trust or whose work you respect and admire. We all go further when we go together. If you have any feedback for me on this episode or any other episodes of the Lonely Diplomat podcast, please send me an email to admin at thelonelydiplomat.com. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star rating on the service through which you're listening now and share the episode with your friends, your family, your neighbours, your neighbour's cat. If you feel that I could improve something, please tell me. This episode, like all the others of the Lonely Diplomat podcast, is provided to you at no cost. If you liked the episode and got something worthwhile from it, please show me some love by way of a financial contribution, either a one-off or a monthly contribution. Go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support for more information about how you can support me financially. It does sound like you're getting ready to leave. So until next time, be awesomely and humanly you because the world needs more you. All views expressed in this episode are my own and all sounds are freeware in the public domain. Thanks for listening.